It's those two assholes. <clears throat> those two idiots you saw me talking to at the third rail. Just he doesn't want to touch the third rail. That, that is the third rail. Saying white people have interest. Third rail. The third rail here is uh, another wonderful show on our on the uh, TRS network. And it's the third rail. You will be destroyed. It's the third rail. You will be destroyed. Watch out for the third rail, baby. That's how folks opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Just like the Canadian honking, this is happening. It is episode 230-230 of the most huggable counter-antichrist podcast on the air since 1973, The Third Rail. We are coming to you almost live in the mobile Third Rail studio, and you know, actually, we're not doing that. We're, it's just the two of us are going to sit down and have a little chat. This is going to be fun. It's going to be cozy. Um, Nikkei, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing quite well. How are you today? Oh, nice. This is going to be cozy. Um, Borzoi and I have done this from time to time with just the two of us, so we will do the same. Um, I uh, I was looking up the episode number because I couldn't remember. It's been like two weeks since our last episode. Um, I took a little time away. I don't know if anybody knows this. I was ghostwriting this manifesto for some philosophy professor. I think he worked at UCLA or something. I think he was a white guy, Matthew Harris. Maybe you've heard about it. Sounds pretty know. white to me. Sounds pretty white, and what he what he had me write was a lot of the N word, just over and over and over, and a lot about kikes. I don't. I I just thought just some guy was, you know, racist and needed a ghostwriter. But uh, is, is you know. that a is that a pseudonym like Matthew Harris? Like is that just his handle on the forum? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. God, did you, I mean, that that was so I, I was actually I'm behind on podcast and I was listening to last Wednesday's tedious where they talked about this guy and they read excerpts and I was just like fucking <coughs> I was I, I had to pull over at one point. Oh, um, man, you got to listen to the most recent Young Whites. We uh, oh. a lot of our episode is uh, reading that document. Uh, oh, yeah. While while Mike was a bit more dismissive of it, we actually went into his uh his doctoral dissertation as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it gives some insights into, you know, the progression of, of this guy's uh, writing. Clearly there's some, I mean, it's, it's a doctoral dissertation. He, he's hiding his power level in it. <laughs> <laughs> like he knew back then. It's like, I'm damn, I wish I, I wish I couldn't relate to this as much as I do. Well, you know, um, I, I just from the pictures I've seen, he looks like he's kind of mixed, and he certainly is like on the on the far right of the uh, the bell curve for his people. So it's kind of not surprising that you know he was able to kind of I don't know if it was like the the blind pig with the truffles or whatever, but he he found he found the magical six sided uh, star that was you know burrowing burrowing into his saddle. So. Very interesting. So for anybody who doesn't know, a UCLA professor last week was arrested because of this manifesto that appeared to have some pretty credible threats. But the fucking thing is, just, it's just a, a look into the mind of mediocre madness, I guess. I don't know. But um, yeah, so that that's what we're talking about. Uh, and I I don't have any good bants for you, Nikkei, except for what we already talked about. And I got to relate this to the audience. I I was out and about. I looked at my phone. I got a buzz. And I got like a, some alert from Uber Eats, and it was um, Uber Eats is celebrating Black History Month by recommending black-owned restaurants. And I was like, oh, fuck, this will be funny. So I open it up, and I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, all I got to do is now I'll just, you know, blacklist these restaurants so I know not to support them. But the first one that opens up and was recommended was um, a pizza place, an Italian joint. One that you actually recognized. Not only did I recognize it, I actually know the owners. They're Italians from New York. They moved here to open and they opened up this pizza place and it's <laughs> it's recommended as a black owned business. And I was just like, well, it looks like Uber Eats is pretty wise to the whole med question. Uh, it hurt. It really hurt to see that. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't pretty. And it just I don't know. Is it was it maybe the A.I., do you think? Or was it like just someone there at, at uh, Uber Eats headquarters there's, is pretty based? There's got to be a system of like how this is verified um, I don't think it's like done automatically. Like it just sees a business and say, oh, this is a black person who owns it. There's got to be some process by which it distinguishes, uh, you know, 
who which businesses are black owned and i probably you know i'm certain it's got to be like you know user generated like business owners submit uh reports yeah to different is, uh web services this is literally that they're a, black a, owned this is literally a husband and wife that owns this place is this uh, <laughs> is that information powered by google you think i guess so i mean i it probably uses google's like database of black owned businesses because they Google's like the first to start suggesting it. Oh yeah. Uh, unlike you know when you look up uh, places to eat and like other places like Yelp and such followed suit. But uh, you know f- straight on Google Maps, if you look up restaurants, you can get suggestions for black-owned businesses. And I'm pretty sure that information is like user-provided black- by people. I don't know. I wonder if they blacklisted all the Italian places. What do you think? Maybe all of them. All the Greek places too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could check. You know, do you remember last? I think I guess it was last year that it actually rolled out, but it was in response to the the, the 2020 George Floyd riots. That one of the the cowardly things that corporate America did was um, they wanted to promote black-owned businesses, so that like you go to a grocery store and items would be labeled as coming from a black-owned business. And I just wonder how much that actually backfired. Because there was a lot of um, – even amongst you know level-headed normies, white normal people, um, there was a lot of resentment at, at blacks at that point um, because there of the, was. Whole, the riots. And, and so I just wonder if it – even amongst normal white people, it you know w- it backfired and caused them to not shop at those places because it doesn't seem like that campaign lasted very long. Yeah. I guess I could have done some research, but I, it just not kind of occurred to me. I, it would only backfire – like in a in a real considerable way, I think if it included products that white people were already buying regularly, mm-hmm. like brands that people don't even know are are black owned, but you know they purchase it all the time, and it just so happens that it is. Uh, what I think was would be a primary effect of that effort is that. You know, radical bought-in pro-blacks are shopping. They see a brand they normally don't purchase labeled as uh, black-owned, and then they make a decision to buy that brand instead of an, the other for yeah, their normal. I see what you're saying, but I mean, when you think about it, when you think of black-owned business, for the most part, it's like hair care products um, and that sort of thing. There were a few I, – I did see them in the grocery stores, like amongst – the, the food products, a few of the things were supposedly black-owned business. Not a lot, but – Oh, they weren't food products? Um, the ones I saw were for food products. But okay, when yeah. I think of black-owned businesses, they're more very specific niche to their own community, like you know, beauty products and shit like that. Oh, sure. Um, but, but like and, the brands you saw for food that as being black-owned, they probably weren't things you normally purchase. No. I mean obviously they weren't like you know the major labels or anything like that. Yeah. But – and and I would also imagine that at least a few of those companies do the whole, you know, yeah, we're a quote unquote a black owned business because we put this one guy, in a, you know, in a in a make work job and put it, you know, gave him the CEO title, but we actually run the whole place, you know. So there's going to be those as well because there's advantages to forming yourself as a black owned business because America is out as Alex McNabb so commonly says, um, America worships Negroes. So there's going to be that, but I just wonder how. How much of it's like just a little bit of a resentment that people would – I mean if this program, if this uh, ad campaign, if this promotional thing had been a success, they'd be touting it, and they'd be wanting more of it to promote black-owned businesses, minority-owned businesses, women-owned businesses, gay-owned businesses, tranny-owned businesses, blah, blah, blah. But if it had that backfire, they would very quietly sweep that away. Like if people stopped buying – like if they actually saw sales dip for all these black-owned businesses that were labeling their products as such, it seems like – uh, they would definitely want to hush that up. They would not want to know people to know that none of this is popular. They wouldn't want the words to get out. I, I don't know. What do you think? All right. I think I wasn't paying attention to uh, any like follow up. Uh, on, Me neither. On such efforts, I, I literally couldn't tell you if they were celebrating or if they weren't. If they were just as quiet as you know anyone could suspect them of being because they weren't paying attention. Um. I just don't know. Yeah. Well, then then let's just uselessly speculate about it for another 30 minutes. Uh, yeah, why not? People really care about that. 
Well, what did you want to talk about? I have two things, and, and you, I think, had two two different things. Um, what are you bringing to the table today, sir? Two two separate articles, both on the same subject. Off the uh, the front of Drudge, as I want to do. Uh, all of it relating to more war propaganda uh, for this crisis in Ukraine. And uh, the lines on the on Drudge read. Russia could seize Kiev in days and cause 50,000 civilian deaths in Ukraine. 50,000 people used to live here. Now it's a ghost town. And then the 50, other one 50,000 civilians. That seems like they're pikers compared to the U.S. We usually kill a lot more civilians when we go into a country to, to save right? it from itself. I guess it's supposed to be a compliment. <laughs> uh and then the other one reads, Putin planning nuclear war game. Ooh. Uh, which is kind of funny because the line immediately above that, which I'm not going to read the article, uh, just the line on Drudge says, Moscow, scaremongering. You don't say. How about that? Moscow's scaremongering. Oh, what's next? Putin planning nuclear war game. Jesus Christ. I, I mean, we... I guess technically... The war's been – I mean we still have troops over there, but it's it, – we're in that 20-year cycle, that 15-year cycle. It's about time for another war, I guess. That's the way they, they, they do these things. Um, but I'm just – it's not uh, – I get at a loss for words these days more and more. One, I think it's the dementia and the senility, but it's also that I'm, I'm just confounded by a world that doesn't even try to pretend to make sense anymore. Like, what do we care about what's going on in Russia and Ukraine? More importantly, um, shouldn't it only – I mean who who really is backing this besides the neocons who they have these, these – I mean who are the popular cheerleaders on the sidelines? Not the policymakers, not the ones guiding us into war, but the ones who are going to cheer this on. And normally in a situation like this, it would be kind of like with Hong Kong. Oh, we need to bring in more uh, uh, American neoliberalism and, and liberate these people and – and uplift them and all that, protect them from the, this big bad aggressor like communist China or the or Russia. Um, but I'm seeing so many fucking conservatives and right libertarians who are also like, well, we can't appease Putin. We we can't be Neville Chamberlain out there. We we have to you know we have to rattle the saber and and scare him. Otherwise, we'll just get rolled over. It's like, what the fuck are you even talking about, man? Why why would I why do I care at all? And so. I know why we're going. You know, they're they're pushing us towards this. I see the the Jewish interests. I see the the monetary interests, the internationalist interests. But what I don't get is that so many people seem to be cheerleading this for no good reason. They should know better. Yes, uh, you have a similar uh, vein of cheerleading by a Twitter account that should have like been defunct when the Trump presidency ended. Do you remember when he was first inaugurated and all of those uh, alt insert branch of government or like you know department organization etc mm -hmm. within government here accounts on twitter apparently those are still posting and we have alt noah the noaa uh tweeting this week i'm proud of biden biden for ordering the raid in syria as vice president it was well reported that he was reluctant of such actions as potus the decision is his alone and the world is a better place when terrorists are dead. Qureshi had no respect for life. Thank you to the operators who served. Then, you know, the second tweet in the thread. It's sad when kids are killed. But the hard truth about these kids. They're not the type of kids who come home after school and play soccer with their friends. They're the type that start killing during their childhood. Their fate was sealed anyway. Nothing could save them. These people which are is, monsters. These are fucking wow. demons. Demons. I'm serious. They call us all sort of, uh, you know, we have somehow left behind morality. That somehow we are the immoral ones and and evil and sadistic and cruel. These, this, this is coming out of the mouth of a human being saying things like this. What the fuck? I'm appalled. I mean, in in my version of of you know like a, a sane, cohesive ethno-state country, people like this would be put in, in, in insane asylums. 
they wouldn't be making policy or getting things printed or, or influencing opinions. What the fuck? Yeah, no, I mean, that's it's pretty monstrous. Um, th- there are like definitely better ways to uh, justify your your position on civilian civilian casualties against, uh, you know, when when we have planned strikes on ISIS leaders. And, you know, I'm not opposed to taking out leaders of ISIS, which, you know, uh, if I'm to believe everything that I've read. Uh, yeah, you're going to have this, to bomb Tel Aviv for that. True. Still waiting on that one. Um, but, like, I don't, like, cheer on the, the ch- child deaths uh, included <laughs> in any such strikes. It's like, I don't say that oh it's it's a good thing that we killed the children because you know it was the best thing that could have happened to them yeah i mean you've you've really lost the script at that point i mean you can make your rational argument yes there's going to be collateral damage and civilian casualties in wartime and it's horrible but because of this larger issue you know therefore we're justified in what we're doing there's you can make a rational explanation or a rationale for this right you know christian philosophers have done it other philosophers have done it uh, this is barbarous. I mean, this is this is up there with like the kind of people who shoot gore porn and uh, you know traumatize children with their Holocaust nonsense. Uh, it's just it's I don't know. It's it's I mean we are at the point of justifying murdering children at the same time they're normalizing pedophilia. So it's really like. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I sometimes get in trouble because a lot of you guys are, are more religious than I am um, or have stronger faith, obviously, and, and better, more learned on, on those matters. But let me tell you something. Increasingly, I look around and I can't explain any of this except demon craft. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a hell mouth open and somehow demons are inhabiting actual human beings. And this is what's driving society. Um, I, I'm increasingly of that opinion. And at least I certainly understand, even if it's not 100 percent true, I understand why anybody would believe that at this point. It, it, nothing it makes, makes sense. a lot of sense. Well, I, I asked you guys. When nothing the other day, makes sense. Demons make the most sense. It does. But I, like I asked you guys the other day, um, it, you know, during the fall of the Roman Empire over those centuries, was there ever any particular philosopher or a writer who observed as much decline in his lifetime? As we have seen, say, since 1945, as the West has seen since 1945, not just a decline in living standards, in 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 um, morality, in in the family, in 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 self confidence, moral self confidence, belief in yourself, ability to stand up for yourself, much less the degeneracy and disgusting uh, depths to which we are being dragged. Uh, you know, we talk about Weimar. Weimar was a fucking walk in the park at this point. You know, at least, you know, you, there were consequences for people who, uh, you know, were pushing the stuff. You know, it, maybe the cops were corrupt and, and things were legalized, but there was still at least some sort of consequence. And certainly there was a backlash that was justified and, and cleansing. Where is this one? I mean, we are further down that fucking hill and, and deeper into the shit than anybody could have imagined. And you mentioned that you thought there were two – you off the top of your head, you thought of two uh, historians who – saw the same you know amount of decline i just don't see it i mean you're tell me tell me what they saw that was as bad as this uh they saw the the trend like the the sacking of rome well one of the sackings of rome and the uh the, the transition from uh you know the roman like kingdom to like a the kingdom of italy under the visigoths uh, yeah. Goths. Um, and yeah, but th- the that's like be... a it's a culture change for sure because your your uh, uh, ruler class is different. But I mean, it wasn't permanent. We're only talking about uh, you know very early part of Rome's history. Well, not very early, but like a middle <laughs> section of Rome's history. It wasn't very close to the end. Nobody would say that. Well, at least a key difference to me would be. It seems like if you were a Roman back then and then Rome was sacked, you would be outraged, saddened, and, you know, this would be considered a bad thing. Imagine if Washington, D.C. were nuked. 
or some you know horrible natural disaster just swallowed it up. What do you think the reaction of every American would be? It'd be a every American. Well, almost every every normal white person would would celebrate. Mm, I don't know. I don't know if that's true at all. I think um, a lot, of, even like uh, on the like the line between uh, like right wing and dissident right wing. Uh, I think everyone not past that line into dissidents uh, would be horrified. I don't know, man. I, I think about like 9-11 and that was like the very last time where it was like, oh, they, they hit New York. If they hit one of us. They, they're hitting all of us. Let's unite America. I just don't think that if 9-11 happened tomorrow in New York, anybody outside of New York would give a fuck. And a lot of people would be laughing about it. And that's where we are in just 22 years or 23 years. 22, 21 years. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm I'm more cynical than I should be. I was thinking, uh, you know, comparing uh, these philosophers that lived uh, during this time period. Specific, we, I guess I should be specific here. We're talking about St. Augustine and uh, Boethius. Um, Boethius was like sort of came. Uh, it was like at the start at the uh, of the uh, Ostrogothic kings, and he was uh, under Theodoric the Great. Um, but compare compare them to Martin Heidegger, a philosopher who saw both world wars and you know lived uh, well after to the till seventy six. You know, born in eighty nine, and saw you know Germany throughout those years talk about like a roller coaster of a life and like having a uh, a front row seat to the most dramatic changes that are uh, that occurred in any one country mm -hmm. I, I mean you have uh pre-great war germany you have the uh the great war you have the interwar period, you know, under the Versailles Treaty. Then you see what Adolf Hitler can do to to bring your country back from those depths. Mm -hmm. And you know, you're an avowed member of the NSDAP, while also being a you know a philosopher. And then you see the war and the loss that Germany faced, and then the occupation thereafter for you know decades. Mm -hmm. See, well, I guess the, I should... the United States and the Soviet Union start a uh, nuclear arms race while your country is still like torn apart and recovering from the uh, the destruction leveled upon it by by Zog. Yeah. I mean, I that's, that is a lot of change to see in a lifetime as a philosopher. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I should have clarified to say uh that that kind of decline not resulting from you know, like a war or natural disaster because that yeah that you put that in perspective that does put a slightly different change on it but it still just doesn't i don't, I don't know man I, it's really hard for me to come up with a uh philosopher who like saw so much change in their lifetime from something that wasn't war related yeah you're right yeah i'm just still uh I don't know. Uh, not just not thrilled the way people just keep repeating the same patterns, falling for the war propaganda, um, f calling for, you know, oh, well, we need to go to war because of these neoliberal values or, oh, we need to go to war to, you know, for muff freedoms. It's just, it's just also tiresome. It is. Um, and these people never lose credibility. I mean, fucking uh, David Frum is a beloved Atlantic and CNN writer. He's the one who wrote the speech that got us into the the first uh, or into the into the Gulf War in the first place. I've never actually heard that speech, and I wasn't really around to, to you know, uh, you know see that happen in the news. So, what do you well, remember about it? 
Well, I mean, in and of itself, I mean, it's the speech that would kind of put it over the top. So it wasn't like it was the only thing that got us into that war. Obviously, you had Judith Miller in The New York Times uh, printing their lies to, to drag us into that war. You had uh, Colin, Colin, uh, Colin Powell going to the U.N. with all these lies about weapons of mass destruction and evidence and you know, fucking Dick Cheney with the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. And so all these things, you know, CNN and New York Times were some of the biggest war cheerleaders, you know, leading up to it. But I think it was a lot of people credit that speech as being the thing that kind of put it over the top for Congress, for everybody. And, you know, you know, Judith Miller suffered minor career setback. New York Times is still highly regarded. CNN, at least amongst uh, the the neocons and the neolibs, is uh, highly regarded. Um, David Frum is certainly highly regarded. Uh, he served Zog well. He got us into a, a war that we had no business in and, you know, eliminated hundreds of thousands of people. Um, but, yeah. I mean, it, it was no... I can't think of any particular speech that would like change the mood of a nation um, in history, but it was more it was like the the bow on the on the it was the bow on the cake. It was the icing on the present sort of thing. Right. Yeah, we, uh, we just have the uh, we have like a media that contextualizes speeches as uh, opinion changing for us. They tell us that, you know, this this particular speech uh it changed public opinion whether or not that's true you know that's like yeah maybe i shouldn't even trust that it's coming from the same corrupt media that i don't trust to begin with like how many people did listen to any of these speeches that were just normal folks i don't Mm. know who's to really who's to say is that even something we can like find out Oh, yeah, I'm sure that there's plenty of, like, old data that I'm just not going to bother with at this point. I mean, is there, though? Uh, Do we know that? Well, there's got to be ratings that. or whatever. I mean, uh, they, they they take note of these things. Like when, you know, like the president rushes a nation over some very important thing or State of the Union or this or that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they, 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 they track how many people tune in for it. Um, they, they need that data, even if it's not for, True. you know, you know, it, it, it's the, the beast needs data. Always right. um, to see what's what what's working and what's not in their little nefarious plans. Say, uh, have you read the Turner Diaries? I, I have not, <laughs> but I know somebody who has. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I've read it. It's 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 um, it is what it is. It's not like the the greatest fiction of any of of any sort. It's got that annoying thing where um, it tells the story of some revolution, but never tells you how the whole thing started. Um, and I don't mean like for dramatic purposes, I need to begin at the beginning. I understand st- starting a story in medias res. I mean, at some point, explain to me how you built this organization that upended the government. You know, how did you how did you operate under as a dissident movement uh, under this uh, increasingly oppressive government? Not that I need like a guidebook. It's just more I, I'd kind of like to know, you know, instead of just things magically being primed and ready for the story. Um, but I'm already actually getting it more. I mean, it, it, it's it's an interesting read. It certainly breaks a lot of taboos for people, um, but it's 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 hardly the you know. I, I would easily argue that there are dozens and dozens of books that are truly foundational to the dissident right. That and this is not one of them. This is a little bit of entertainment. You know, it's I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying it's, it is what it is. But it absolutely has nothing to do with anything going on. But uh, the L.A. Review of Books just published a review of it, you know, 30 years later um, by Noah Berlatsky, who he compares it to pulp fat, like science fiction, pulp fascism, because they always complain about science fiction as this colonialist fascist kind of a, a bent to it, you know, with the white male savior and, and that sort of thing. And he tries to make the argument that uh, – uh, uh, was Andrew McDonald, um, William Luther Pierce, his pen name, um, borrowed these tropes from science fiction because he was a, an engineer and he was had a science fiction, you know, he's a fan of science fiction and that sort of thing. Um, but you, Nikkei, in like two minutes, you turned a parody of the first couple of paragraphs here to just show how fucking bland and terrible this fucking review is. Well, it was fucking. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, he. It's not a very long review at all. It's it's very quick read. Uh, 
he just doesn't say anything new about the book that hasn't been said either by uh, sympathetic reviewers or, you know, reviewers who utterly despise it. Uh, it's not original. And like in the moments where he does, he like attempts to offer something uh, fresh to the conversation about this book. It's, it's actually meaningless. Um, anybody could uh, read this uh, whole review uh, quickly for themselves. Uh, like one line where he tries to, to offer something that could be considered like a, an original thought about the book. He's, I'll read the full paragraph. The racist association of black men with sexual violence and criminality isn't some sort of innovation, obviously. You can see the same stereotypes in Birth of a Nation. Is Pierce taking aspects of racist propaganda and turning them into pulp? Or is he building on elements of pulp to create Nazi propaganda? The conflation of the two is so seamless it's impossible to say. Great. <laughs> that, that, really, that really makes me think about whatever it is you're getting at here. Like, it's impossible to say. Why'd you write about it then? Like, I, I can get people uh, having uh, inconclusive uh, thoughts when analyzing uh, a, a previous work or an original observation. But that's always, a, you know, when that whenever that happens and it's part of like a, a larger extended work, then it's forgivable because the conversation and discussion continues and there's other things that are insightful and productive about it. This does not have any of that. He's no, basically ripping off other people, other Jewish reviewers like analysis uh, of the Turner Diaries and just regurgitating it uh, again. I mean, it's like uh, he could have listened to uh, the myth of the 20th century episode about the Turner Diaries that came out, uh, I believe, last year, and it would be just as insightful. Well, it would, it, I mean, it's less insightful. He could have listened to that and then written this article based on what they talked about. You know, it's, it's, he didn't he didn't have to read the book. I give him the benefit of the doubt that he did. But what he wrote here as a review is just so meaningless. Well, it, if you're writing to me or speaking to me and you say use the expression, it's impossible to say, then. You can go ahead and stop talking at that point because you you literally have nothing to offer. It's it's as bad as when people say, um, "Here's this such a thing happened, and what happened next went exactly as you'd expect." Then why are you wasting my time telling me about it? If it went exactly as I expect, I don't need to hear about it from you. But this guy, his um, I think the only like you said that there's nothing original, and there's there is nothing original to his analysis or his review of the Turner Diaries. There's nothing insightful. However, because he's just trying to, you know, use this as a cudgel against all or or most science fiction fantasy, he starts. Uh, he goes into uh, how science fiction uh, progressives now uh, talk about reverse colonization, which is where in stories where basically white people or traditionally uh, the, the powers that be are uh, become victims. So he talks about like. Um, the camp of the saints where, you know, France uh, is being invaded by all these migrants and how it's you know destroying their country or Red Dawn. It's about America being invaded by Cuba and Russia when supposedly we've done all the and actually it's true. We have done most of the invading, but you get the idea. And in fact, he even he even turns on Stan Lee, creator of the X-Men and all those Marvel characters, saying that because the X-Men were created as a group of white mutants who were suffering oppression that it's basically stealing the non-white experience for white people. And so th that's how fucked up this gets. Um, he also goes into the thing where they complain about, like, whether it's Fahrenheit 451 or uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, War of the Worlds. Uh, you, again, you have kind of a reverse of supposed oppression because white people can't be oppressed. That's what he's getting at, is that white people, the French, um, the British, when during H.G. Wells's War of the Worlds, when they're invaded, that was the English Empire being oppressed the way they had supposedly oppressed all these other countries. Um, and also the supposed fascism kind of inherent in stuff like uh, 
uh, Ender's Game or Starship Troopers. But then he actually goes into how uh, – he also mentions They Live, which uh, John Carpenter was horrified to learn that everybody sees it as <laughs> you're seeing through the Jews instead of seeing just a Reagan-era capitalism. <laughs> um, it was just hilarious because it, like literally every – like even – even uh, philosemites look at they live and they like yeah that's about the jews <laughs> <laughs> but um uh i guess he by not having anything to say and like he's uh, your analysis was perfect the fact that you could parody it so easily just tells you how vapid this is and i'm like why is this even being printed it's not relevant the book hasn't come out in like uh some news story in the last couple of months you know with something you know uh, crazy in the news or whatever um the book is like 30 plus years old 40 years old why review it now and with nothing to add to oh noah berlatsky that name sounds familiar who is he oh he's the uh author and the pr person for the protasia prostasia foundation which is trying to uh, eliminate the stigma against quote minor attracted persons yeah. His last essay for them was on 13th of December 2021, entitled Stigma Makes It More Difficult to Fight Child Sexual Abuse. The stigma itself can lead to harm. There's an interview with, uh, titled that, a video interview, um, a conversation about the social media attacks on prostasia because they're the victims because all they're doing is like, you know, advocating for pedophiles and how dare people on social media attack them. Um, but, yeah, this is this is this dude. And I'm thinking. When you get heat for your – I mean the, the pedophilia thing, the normalizing pedophilia hasn't gotten a lot of traction and not for want of trying. They are trying so much to normalize pedophilia and child sexual attraction and that sort of thing where the minor attracted persons and all those bullshit euphemisms for fucking pedophiles who should be cured with lead. Um, when you get in a little bit of trouble because nobody really want, accepts this. Nobody is willing to like – uh, you know, except for Netflix uh, executives, is willing to entertain the idea of normalizing pedophilia. Yeah, in the talk Square. about uphill battles. Yeah, and and so what you got to do? You got to reform. You got to make sure you, you know there's some good stuff out there by you. So you, being a Jew, have access to the LA Review of Books because even though you're a shitty writer, you're going to get published. And then you do something that is what it, what's the popular thing? What can get you back in, back in the good graces of everybody? You attack Whitey. You attack Whitey. You attack white things. And, you know, uh, you go to this whole intersectional uh, critical literature uh, bullshit to hide the fact that you're a pedophile and you write for pedophiles. But that was my analysis. Just and also just how J Jewish mediocrity is rewarded no matter where you go. I mean, he, he there must be some like clout that he carries or like some person that he knows with the L.A. uh review of books where he can just have his little basically blog posts uh uploaded as reviews well, keep in um, mind he's also written for the washington post the atlantic the pacific oh, really yeah okay, this is well, not I like guess some he, how old is he do you know um he looks to be in his 30s maybe 40 and he looks oh, okay. like a fat howard younger howard stern i thought he was like a, a relative like fresh out of college newcomer but i guess i'm wrong um he okay could, so yeah maybe he, he has just like that horrible built up, that, uh, built up a name that you would know if you give a shit about those circles uh it, do, it doesn't matter either way he's got this review published and um it's it's really like mediocre it's unimpressive uh and yeah you're still a, a pedophile apologist so <laughs> <laughs> Into the trash it goes. Yeah, I was thinking, and totally unrelated, but since we're talking about books, um, do you know how useful of Mice and Men is as a book? What a great story and lesson you learn from that. One of the things you learn in that is that some problems can be solved by a bullet to the back of the head. Unfortunately, At least that's what those, I learned from those with problems George. Might, might be your grug best friend. <laughs> I think so. Again, also totally unrelated to the topic of pedophilia, but it just seems like, yeah. Of Mice and Men teaches a good lesson about certain things. Uh, a problem resolution, maybe. I should you know say. how that book doesn't hold up uh, in in 2022? I wouldn't like I'd laugh if uh, my rippling muscles, retarded 
best friend like snap the neck of some thought. I'd yeah. give him, I would I'd give him a high five and say like good work thought patrolled I wouldn't shoot him. <laughs> oh god, you sound like an amnet now. Get off that. No, I know what you're saying though. It's kind of She was being yeah. a hoe in that book as I remember. I it's been so long since I've read it, but like you know, why why is she be such a such a slut? You know? I I, I kind of see Linnea's aspirational not for the Controlling the thought, but think about it. He's a big, powerful, you know, m- monster of a man, and he's not bothered by introspection or thinking about things. He is he is Grug, in a in a weightlifter's body. Mm-hmm. He's the ideal to strive for. Be more like Lenny. I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. I I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> um, I only have one more thing. Did you have you had another one, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I could actually go into the, the full content of, uh, of these articles, um, about the war propaganda. We don't have to go through the entirety of them, but I can read for you what, what I have. Absolutely. Sure. So, uh, the one that Drudge put as, uh, Russia could seize Kiev in days and caused 50,000 civilian casualties, uh, Begins, uh, Russia's close to completing preparations for what appears to be a large-scale invasion of Ukraine that could leave up to 50,000 civilians killed or wounded, decapitate the government in Kiev within two days, and launch a humanitarian crisis with up to 5 million refugees. 5 million. Uh, so so it's Gentile uh, refugees of 5 million. Where, where did you make up that number from? So now we're running alarmist headlines about o- only what, five co- million Gentiles. Why, why? What do you mean five million? Well, it's got to be. It can't be more than five it million. It, it could possibly be more than five million. <laughs> you suggest such a thing. <laughs> what are you trying to do by implying that such higher numbers could be conceivable for Gentiles? For Gentiles, not for us, though. There, everybody. No, I um. This is just somebody's projection of what can happen. Yeah, and of course, you know, if, if America wanted to, uh, you know, roll through Cuba in a, in an afternoon or two, it could if it had the will and the and that you know arrayed all, put all its resources into it and it had no worries about the consequences. So, uh, yes, Russia could roll through Kiev. What? So what? You know, that's just uh, that's just assessing the balance of arms and power and, and forces. Jesus Christ. How, how yeah, is this an Unfortunately, the, the person uh, saying this happens uh, is apparently the uh, U.S. military and intelligence assessment, whoever specifically did that for the, you know. I, then I don't believe you even more. I don't believe it. I was willing to believe it. But it's coming from the U.S. Uh, military intelligence? Yeah. Why would I, why? Okay, let me switch gears. Let me be parody here. Well, what's not to believe? They've never <laughs> lied to us before. They've never lied to us before. I don't disagree with the idea that Russia could win an invasion in a matter of days. Of course. Say, oh, 50,000 civilian casualties and five, like a, a launch, a, a humanitarian crisis of five million displaced persons. Wow. I, yeah, sure. <laughs> that yeah, That's so believable that Russia, like... With their overwhelming advantage, would need to cause that much, uh, like secondary casualties to deal with. Like I don't think they understand what it means to have a, an overwhelming advantage uh, that you can like finish hostilities in a matter of days. That means less people die, not more. That's a good point. That's actually a good point. Short wars have low body counts. Yeah. I mean, no, I was just not I, talking I, about like utter carpet bombing of uh, of Kiev. We're, uh, then, you know, fifty thousand civilian uh, deaths. It's just unbelievable to me. I couldn't see that happening. No, but it's one. It's like, well, all you've done is project. You haven't actually. I mean, there's nothing in there that says that's going to happen. You're saying this could happen. Well, okay, so you did a balance of forces a comparison. Wow. Um, but two, the way you're 
you know, the way they're positioning this as if like, and this is why we have to like make Russia back down. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's it, it feels cheap and insulting. Like, I mean, there's maybe because there's not a bloody, there's literally not a bloody shirt to be waved for Americans in this. Um, this is what they're going to have to rely on. But I don't know. I almost feel like I'm I'm not getting a little entertainment for my dollar. If you're going to try to sell me on a war, give me a little something more entertaining. Give me some more atrocity stories. Not, oh, we project this could happen over the course of three days. Let me give and, you a comparison. Uh, the NATO bombing of Yugoslavia was an operation that lasted 78 days. And uh, the highest estimate of civilian casualties, uh, like civilian deaths, is 2,000. 78 uh, – 78 days, 2,000 civilian casualties. Obviously, horrible outcome. Uh, it's a utter catastrophe and calamity that we, we bombed white people for no reason. Mm-hmm. They're saying 50,000 in two days. That's well, insane. But that's because the Russians are evil and they're going to spend extra time trying to murder civilians. I mean, that has to be what they're tr- going to suggest. I mean, you, they're not going to pull those numbers out of nowhere. I mean, they are. But what they're going to do is say, OK, you get they're going to uh, the body count will rise to 50,000, 50,000 because of X, Y, Z made up bullshit, which they're all going to be. Russia targets these uh, locations that are densely populated by non-combatants, and that's going to you know, result in, I guess I'm led to believe 25,000 uh, innocent people killed every day until Kiev is taken. That That is like massacres that are unimaginable. 25,000 people in a day. Well, they're probably using those exploding bullets like Kyle Rittenhouse did. <laughs> yeah, and- right. You know, they're not going to waste time actually fighting uh, any of the uh, Ukrainian forces. They're going to all of their military resources are going to be on executing civilians because that's what bad guys do. Just as a little they don't bit w- of worry about the fight, here, they worry about uh, executing people. It wouldn't be those those exploding bullets because hollow points I don't think are allowed in in war. No, they're not. But I'm, I'm yeah, I was making a joke though. But um. I got totally distracted. I, I'm definitely with you on this because you know how upset I'm, – I'm very anti-war, and I'm very upset by the way people that I know that I know in real life who are smarter than this still get taken by war propaganda every single fucking time. It's just like uh, you know, it's like, well, we're never going to fall for that again. Then two days later, the trumpet blows, and these people are just like, oh, yeah, we got to get, get in there. Good guys are coming, and I got distracted because um, in, in a chat that I, I was like trying to look over to something you were saying. But there's a chat where somebody's got a video of – and it says that in Vietnam, cow vagina is what a delicacy, a street food delicacy. And I'm disturbed enough by that, but what I'm even more disturbed by is the description in the story multiple times says the bull vagina. I'm sorry, but you can have a bull or you can have a vagina. You can't have both. Bulls don't have fucking vaginas. This is retarded. You can have bull dykes. You can have bull dykes, absolutely. Um, sorry, I, I got I got distracted there. That, that's an awful derail. <laughs> yeah, sorry, dude. That was a McNabb tier right there. <laughs> sorry, Alex. Um, uh, uh, no, but yeah. uh, you, you were saying, yeah, it's just it's ridiculous for them to to speculate like that and to try to drag us into war for these stupid reasons. But th- there's more there, isn't there? We have other interesting uh, hot takes offered by diplomats. Uh, A Russian invasion could, quote, embarrass Beijing because it suggests that China is willing to tolerate or tacitly support Russia's efforts to coerce Ukraine. Hmm. (laughs) I doubt it. I think China doesn't give a flying fuck uh, in regards to, like, Secondhand re- embarrassment from what Russia does with Ukraine. Hmm. You, China is uh, busy handling its own PR uh, battles with the West over this whole like Uyghur genocide uh, 
accusation. Oh my god, and, and that's know. that's another one of those. Literally, nobody cares. Nobody cares about that issue. The Uyghur genocide. Who cares? No one. I don't even think Uyghurs even care at this point. Who's to say? I mean, like the fact is, like everything is so defined by propaganda that reliable information is just non-existent. Look, like I, I, I'm led to believe what uh, as being accused by the West it isn't happening, but I don't know what really is happening either. Well, I mean, I'll put it to you in, in simple terms for me. I'm no fan of, of, of the communist China. I, I, you know, they have some things that I, I can say that about them that are positive. I mean, I'm not I'm, I am nuanced. I mean, there's no doubt that the average Chinese person believes and can have faith in the idea that whatever else the, the communist government is doing, the Chinese government is doing, it's going to do it in the interest of the Chinese people first. And so I look at what they're doing. They're dealing with this hostile minority in their own country, and they're dealing with it in a way that neutralizes this this potential threat. What problem should I have with that? That's their business. You know, the you, you can't it, it, it's exactly the kind of thing I want in my country is for the, the majority to be able to say here is a hostile minority that is working against our interests. We're going to do something about this. We're going to. Uh, separate them. We're going to, you know, uh, exile them. We're going to deal with them in an appropriate and humane fashion, but we're not going to fucking, you know, cater to them. So what do I give a fuck about the Uyghurs? Uyghur genocide. Come on, Jesus Christ. Right. Uh, and the only new thing uh, that that other article I, I found also mentions is uh, nuclear uh, drills that. Apparently, or not drills, but like war games that Russia is apparently conducting. In recent months, Russia has conducted a series of joint drills with Belarus and repeatedly sent in its sent its nuclear capable long range bombers to patrol the skies over its neighbor, which borders NATO member members, Poland, Lithuania and Latvia. Uh, Yeah, that's that's all they have to really tell us about extent of uh, nuclear war games yeah mm. you know nuclear cap- nuclear capable bombers included in a war game I mean that, that that's not shocking it also doesn't scare me because I already knew that Russia was a nuclear capable country yeah. this is this has been happening for a while this is you're just new. trying to reframe it in a way to scare me mm-hmm. and it's not gonna work Either to scare you or to to remind the boomers that oh yeah I remember the Cold War and Russia and how they were a threat because that's and I'm seeing that both with this like amongst the boomers and the Normicons um, as well as like the the Chinese Olympics deal where all they do is just they're rehat they're just revisit these old tropes that it's like who cares uh, you know it's like oh we're gonna look down on uh, a, a, from a moral high point at this at China. During the the uh, Beijing Olympics, okay, um, because they have a social credit system, their government does. Yeah, well, so do we. It's just run by private corporations, and there's no fucking uh, redress to it. You know, there's no single person to go to and say, "Hey, I'm being oppressed by the system. I'm being deplatformed. I'm being removed from funding um, and and financial transactions because of my political beliefs." And and you know, China doesn't have homosexual billionaire uh, people starting companies like Palantir. That gather data on literally every single thing that every single individual citizen does, every financial transaction, every every thing, digital fingerprint you ever leave anywhere, yep. any public record, they gather it, and it's it, it, they are surveilling the people for the government. So I mean, when you think about it, we don't even really have a social credit system as it's conceptualized and. I mean, it's, again, another thing I really can't say I understand if and how it exists in China. Let's take it at face value. You know, you do things that uh, upset good for the, your community, upset the government, you know, then you lose points. You do things that the government approves of points go up. You don't even get that here in any real way. No, you know, no. Say because, something because if, that we that, President if we had that Green, system here, you know, uh, every other weekend. Uh, no matter how many racisms you did during the week, when you go out and you go hiking and you pick up trash and you do all these community-oriented things that uh, so many of our guys do, you'd earn your points back. Yeah, no. You, can't, you, don't, you don't get that. There's no redemption. 
think of this too for people in the mainstream. You say something that upsets President Greenblatt, and uh, your your points go down. And then you know, next thing you know, you're uh, you're apologizing and you you venerate the Holocaust. Uh, you donate to the ADL, and <laughs> your credit score doesn't go back up. There's no redemption. No. There's only you can only lose your um, credit score. There's apologies and recompense within the the Zog order do not exist, and they nope. mean nothing. Well, they exist, but they mean nothing in terms of actual social redemption. And the fact of the matter I'm is, not. we don't want to be redeemed in the eyes of this of this system. No, of course not. And we're not even saying that you know doing the racism is, is negative. I'm saying just taking these same standards and applying it here. Oh, yeah. They at least have a way out of uh, out of their social credit deficit. But right. more importantly, they, you know, oh well, well, Red China, they they have political prisoners. They torture people. What the fuck do you think that we're doing? January sixth. We don't have political prisoners in this country. Wake up, Boomer. January sixth, much less Guantanamo. Oh well, we're not doing it on American soil, so it's okay to torture people and hold them, you know, without ever charging them for anything. No. Uh, oh, we 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 execute people. We execute innocents. Oh, okay. Yeah. So do we. How many CIA yeah. black sites? China, China does it. How many CIA blind sites? How many how many weddings do we bomb going after, quote unquote, ISIS suspects? How many children's legs are blown off? I mean, don't act like we have some sort of, uh, you know, moral high ground on the fucking Chinese. We don't. Hmm. No, I think I just I just now realize that my settings, uh, my input settings, I think half of the audio in this is going to be through my bad microphone. Darn. I hope not. That's uh, OK. Um, yeah, so I, when I see all these these reactionaries and conservatives and they and boomers and just, you know, oh, Red China, we're going to boycott. And, you know, it, there's a news story about China and it, it didn't condemn them. So we're going to boycott uh, MSNBC or whatever. It's just like, dude, start, for starters, don't watch network television. Um, but come on, open your fucking eyes, fat ass. This country is worse than China in so many ways. The only reason... I wouldn't go to China as I've seen too many fucking live leak videos, okay? And I don't want to get on an elevator <laughs> or walk through a street, you know? I don't want to cross the street <laughs> in China because it's fucking dangerous. But I have no moral authority to sit there and condemn them for what they're doing when I'm condemning my own government for it. Fuck. I mean, I'm just uh, – yeah, I get it frustrated. Sorry. Um, yeah, th 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 These idiots fucking banging the war drum, sending our best and brightest, our youngest – uh, off to war. Only this time. Uh, hello. The heavy gay. Push. I did. Yeah, you cut out after this time. Uh. Okay. I thought I heard a beep there. I don't know what that was. Uh. Yeah. Well, I was saying, and th and this time it's just, it's just the same fucking show over and over and over again. But the only thing that's going to be different this time is going to be, um, you know, we've seen the degradation of the U.S. military in terms of its diversity and it going as gay as it is and as many females and all that. So, you know, I think maybe the nice thing that, you know, when we lose this war, maybe a lot of us will be, you know, be like, uh, uh kind of saw that coming. Um, well, like the stone toss comment. Do you know they're sending transvestites or transsexuals? to uh off to war i hope so <laughs> <laughs> i i still believe the uh, best thing for everyone is for us not to get involved but you know theoretically there there is a uh a, a possible uh hot war where you know a non-negligible share of forces deployed are these spiteful mutants in our military but you know in all honesty is that really going to be who we send or is it going to be what's left of the uh actual like competent white uh oh it's gonna be that it's gonna force. be this it's, it's going to be, be fighting, the people we yeah mm. white boys from appalachia from the south from the midwest and and that's who always you know that's They're, who are the majority of the combat arms, MOSs, and who are, you know, always, unfortunately, tricked enough by the patriotism game to uh, volunteer and go hardcore and, you know, first in and all that, tip of the spear. As, it's as a shame much, that they're wasted that way. As much as we like to cynically 
uh, joke about a hypothetical hot war in the current year, uh, leading to the deaths of thousands of, you know, degenerate, uh, like disgusting, uh, uh, people. What the fact of the matter is that that won't be like anything close to what happens. What will happen will be, uh, good old boys from the heartland who are still in the military are going to be sent and their support, their support crew will be these incompetent mutants. And that's Mm -hmm. going to lead to them, uh, falling into more operational vulnerabilities and the mistakes will pile up. And with those mistakes will become the casualties that, you know, in human terms are, aren't those, mutants i mean that's that's the hard truth and that's why like war is still going to hurt our people and it's not going to be it's not going to hurt the uh the system's disgusting uh toadies they're just going to help fuck it up for the rest of the uh you know like real americans uh involved well, we already know plenty of our guys who are um, already disillusioned, who have been, served in the military, um, and uh, they were like usually are often you know several generations, like you know like their their fathers and grandfathers served as well. Um, but because of disillusionment, so many are you know starting to come home after this last twenty years, and kind of breaking that cycle. If such a situation as what you're describing does come up, and you know they basically get a the equivalent of a backstab. From the mutant core of support, the the, the trannies and the diversity and all that, um, it's going to even further alienate white men from the idea of military service. Hopefully, and ensuring that their sons never do it either. Like, no, son, this is not a proud tradition to uphold. This does not make you brave. This is not a good thing. You are not to serve in the military. Do anything else with your life, as opposed to what they usually get now. Uh, you know, four years would be good for you, or it's our family tradition, or whatever. So hopefully, um. It, should such a horrible thing come to pass, it will hopefully be maybe break the cycle of white men basically being the backbone of the actual effective military. Let's not wait for disaster to strike. I'm no, I agree. going to once again issue the call to action to all listeners. Make sure you're countering this with everybody around you when it comes up. If you have family and friends in the military, tell them it's not worth it. Remind them that they are asking to be thrown into a wood chipper by the incompetent force they're a part of, that hates them, that wants to see their own country destroyed and brought to ruin, and doesn't care if their blood is the price it pays to destroy itself. Remind them that that's what's going on, that they need to get out now for their own good, and if they don't have the sense to care for themselves, do it for the sake of this country, because they're not helping, they're only hurting. Amen. Hey, um, I got, I, I just got a text. I got to hit, hit the road. Um, in a few minutes, is there anything else you wanted to cover or any, anything else last minute before we, uh, call it a little early? That's all I have. And okay. honestly, I feel like that's a good note to end on. Absolutely. Very strong. Um, be sure to, uh, tune into Borzoi. He's got pause buttons coming out. He's got hyper podcastisms coming out. He's got all kinds of shit going on. As well as Larry Ridgeway and uh, uh, DK with uh, National Institute for Gamer Review. You want to go ahead and give me your plug, sir? Sure. Listen to the Young Whites on the right stuff.biz. And you can follow me That's at Nike at Pleroma. Nobody has the dot biz. Nice. Um, go to national-justice.com, dissident-mag.com, and the nationaljusticeparty.com. Everything you ever wanted to know, you will find it there. Go to antelopehillpublishing.com. That's antelopehillpublishing.com for books from the dissident right for uh, just an ecosystem of fiction, nonfiction, translations, everything you'd want to read. Join us at the TRS radio network behind the paywall for premium content. It's the right stuff.biz slash paywall. And uh, I guess that's it for this week. Uh, don't forget to buy my book, buy Borzoi's book, by Why We Fight. That includes an essay from Nikkei. Um, but uh, I guess that's it for this week, folks. Remember... Support black-owned businesses like Olive Garden. Mr. Producer, (laughs) Shale Victory. See ya, Kyle.